Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod. The podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at Mike C Tennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... On Instagram yesterday, uh, Francis Tiafo uh, posted a basically a wanted poster looking for Michael Mo. Um, so this this is a reaction to that. The only reason you're here is because we wanted to make sure that Francis Tiafo could could hear your voice <laughs> and to know, know you're that, okay. Know that you're alive. You are standing. You're sitting right now, but you're you're functioning. Uh, so Michael Mo is joining us on the podcast. Welcome. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. You look and good. Good to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know that was up for question. I actually didn't see this yesterday. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, I I, I got to admit, I, I look at Francis. Yeah, Francis is, you know, like on a story. Has anybody seen Michael Mo? I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> like seriously, like oh shit, what's happened? Like in 2020, like some strange shit has happened. So it's like, shit. right? Like you just take a picture with Mike yeah, right. on Twitter, where everything's fine. He's fine. He's okay. He's okay. We're just in the courtyard. The thing about it is. I literally didn't respond to him for one night, and then somehow he turns that into Mo's gone missing Mo's for a couple of weeks. Like start putting him on the milk cartons and everything, the old school stuff. Um, how have you been? I know at the beginning of, of everything, you obviously uh, you played Sebastian Corda, I think, six straight weeks in finals in, in the Bradenton, whatever it was called. But um, how's it been for you, uh, especially the last month, month and a half um, since everything is resumed? I mean, it's been. Honestly, uh, on a tennis aspect, it's been pretty good. I think uh, just having a little time off and having a little time to just to work on my game, work on my body, you know, make sure that I'm healthy going into a block of tournaments has been great. You know, uh, also those Battle of Bradentons, those were awesome. Just to play events where, you know, you, you don't care quite as much as like a challenger where you're like competing for like your livelihood in yeah. a way. You're just kind of like experimenting with your game. So I felt like personally, the time off really helped my tennis game. Mm. And I feel like I'm a way better player now than before Corona. How'd you do mentally though? Um, at times, you know, it was tough because we had no idea like when the hell we were going to be playing. And, you know, I didn't even know if I was going to be playing in 2020. I thought, you know, it was going to be 2021. And, 
I didn't even know what 2021 was going to look like. Um, so that was tough. But then once everything kind of looked a little bit more optimistic and then U.S. Open looked like it was a go, um, you know, I started training, you know, my butt off and uh, put in a lot of hard yards. Probably the most hard yards I've ever mm. put in in my career so far. Uh, for you, I mean, kind of where did boredom ever hit during this time period? Like, when was it like, you know, this is this is great and all, but like, when's my next freaking match going to come? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, March, April, those were some tough months. <laughs> like, post Indian Wells, yeah, yeah. Like those first couple months, those were tough because yeah. it was me, like Sebi, Nico, and we were hitting at this club because IMG was closed. We were literally mm. hitting every single day and at a point it was just so repetitive and you know we weren't <laughs> playing tournaments and we didn't know what we were like training for like you how know? many more cross court forehands am i gonna be hitting <laughs> right now <laughs> exactly yeah so those were the tough months but like once i got through that i thought everything just got a whole lot easier was your last tournament indian wells Charlie? were you yeah okay yeah okay so it's been a few months and i think this is funny this is something i was just talking about with a few guys today if we go into some of the tournaments that usually take place during this time, obviously people really enjoy Seville, but you start seeing like the mental effects mm. and people, everybody's so chipper right now. It's yeah. kind of, you get that feeling of like first tournament of the year, like kind <laughs> of excited. Like we still kind of miss each other. Like that feeling yeah. Like we don't all hate each other. Right. We're not snapping sticks. Like, do you have that feeling? Calm. Do you have that feeling right now? Yeah. It seems pretty <laughs> calmer than usual. Yeah. 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 It shouldn't be this calm. It's, it's like we, you know, we, we have a beautiful day right now. Yeah. Everybody, like today, besides Blanche was a little upset for two seconds, but besides that, <laughs> everybody seemed like this is a first tournament of the year. We're just getting back into it, but it's like, it feels like November. Though. It yeah, is. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. crazy how this works out. But yeah. what are you feeling right now? What are the thoughts going in your head? I mean, honestly, I didn't think I would ever miss the, the Challenger Tour. <laughs> <laughs> but just coming back here. Actually, somehow I did miss it, and uh, it's good to see guys like Noah again. It's good uh, to no, see. it's never good to see Noah. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Sometimes can't it help is. it. Sometimes it is. The most smile from across the way, and he knows what's happening. He's already preparing. <laughs> the hand goes up. But we, obviously, we can't touch. Right. No, touch no, no touching. Right, right, right yeah. no touching. Yeah. No, yeah. No, no, no. no touching. And I don't see a smile because there's a mask up. I take right, that yeah, back. Of course. There's masks. Yeah. <laughs> we, we actually did the air handshake. We did we the hand contact. Right. We would never. We did. You have good memories here. Um, obviously from, from last year, um, that tournament for me, and obviously then the Charlottesville, Knoxville, how that played out last year, um, th those felt like turning points to me in your career, your development. I'm interested how you view them now, especially with the fact that you had to take six months off, um, how, how you look back at Kerry and then the, what happened in Charlottesville and then Knoxville the week after, how you view them now a year later. Honestly... I look at them and every single time I look at them, I'm just like, wow, like if I didn't have those weeks, like it would be completely different right now. You know, 2020, I wouldn't have got a wild card into Australian Open. I wouldn't have won my first Grand Slam match. Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't even got a wild card into US Open because, you know, based on how I did it at Australian Open, yeah. that's how I kind of got the wild card into US Open. So I probably wouldn't have won a match at US Open either. So that's two Grand Slam matches, which to this point is probably the two biggest wins of my career. I probably wouldn't have gotten if I didn't, you know, do do what I did those two weeks. So I'm honestly just like very fortunate that I had those weeks because if I didn't, you know, it'd be a whole lot different position right now for sure. I know we're kind of going back even further, but talk about your feelings before Kerry. Kerry was the first turning point for you. I don't think you were feeling the ball as well. The results weren't there. 
what was the click for you? And then obviously past Charlottesville, but titling, what, what changed during that point? The weird thing is during that whole time in practice, I was playing the best I've ever played. Mm. Like my level in practice was higher than it's ever been, including now. And I just wasn't winning, you know, like I would go to every single event and I would just not win. I would lose, you know, five in the third, four in the third. And that kind of like steamrolled. And all of a sudden every week I was losing four in the third. And it came to a point, honestly, where I even told my mom, I was like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, I don't know how many times I can go to the tournament and lose four in the third. Like, Mm. you know, especially considering I felt like I made the breakthrough, you know, I was top 100 and I was finally main draw of Australia, main draw of some tour events, and I felt like I, I got to a point where I didn't have to play challengers, or at least my whole schedule didn't have to be challengers. And then all of a sudden, I was playing challengers and not winning a single match at challengers. So that was really tough. Um, and Kerry, actually, specifically, I was down, and I should have lost first round. I remember I played uh, the kid from uh, Sarkeesian. Mm-hmm. I should have lost first round. Somehow squeaked through that. And that was the first match where I actually won deep in the third. Yeah. And then after that, that just gave me a ton of confidence. And then I ended up getting to the finals. And then that just gave me, like, kind of a, a sigh of relief. And finally I knew, okay, like, I can actually win these matches when they go deep in the third. And that confidence slowly started to come back. But for the listeners, I don't think they understand just how small of a difference is. You're saying that was the best times you were playing in practice. But just how small of a difference it is from – winning consecutively at the Grand Slam level to losing first round of a challenger. Mm-hmm. You know, how you you even just said it that you were thinking about, you know, stopping tennis for some time or just taking a break. What do you say to yourself that got you to even sign up for carry? You know, what are you <laughs> saying to yourself at home that's saying like, shit, am I going to play this fucking tournament again and like <laughs> lose first round? And I've been there. I get what it feels like. There's nothing worse. Yeah. What keeps you going? I mean, honestly, I just got to thank, like, my support system for that. You know, they, they kept me level-headed. And uh, Knoxville as well. That was one tournament for sure that I was telling everyone that was close to me that I was not going to be playing. And I was thinking about ending my season after Charlottesville, considering how much of a disaster that season was and then how much of a disaster that week was and yeah. the event that happened. You know, I, I was like, nah, like, this is just too much for me. Like, uh, I, I don't think it's meant to be. And my mom was like, just hang in there and yeah. just, just go there. You know, whatever happens, happens, but just give it a try. And then, you know, it's crazy how life works like that. You know, the weeks where, you know, you feel like there's no hope. And then all of a sudden you just give it a shot and everything turns. I mean, it's, it's, it's truly amazing. Uh, I, I want to come back to your mom in a second, but I, I will admit that when, when the Novak situation happened at the U.S. Open this year, I immediately thought about you. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just wondering what you were thinking in that moment. I, I don't know if you were watching it live, but I, I, were you, what were you thinking Can in that moment? Can we first appreciate that, like, that was my only match I ever commentated, <laughs> and here I am, I'm like, what is happening? Is this your job every day, Mike? I was like, oh, I, I didn't even know what to say. And I'm like, Mike. Were you what? commentating as it happened? Yes. yes. No yeah. way. Yeah. We were there because I, I was injured during the last two months of last year. I decided, see what it's like. Let's get some podcasts done. And I'm exhausted. And then, boom. And I'm like, what in the world just happened? Yeah, I feel sorry for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, no. What, what were you thinking during that happened? I mean, during the no back. No back, yeah. yeah. Um, I knew right away it was DQ. Yeah. Like, even when he was talking to the ref for 30 minutes, I knew, like, there was no shot. Like, right when I saw it, I was yeah. like, he's done. Yeah. Um, but I also... 
saw like how much hate he was getting. Yeah. And I definitely uh, empathized towards him because I was in that position and I know he, that's not what he meant to do. Sure. You know, it's a complete accident, you know, like, like mine. Um, but I was a little disappointed in the fact that he was trying to like argue himself out of it. Mm. Um, but, you know, overall, I related to it. You know, yeah. it took me straight back to that moment. And it was kind of like almost traumatizing in a way because that was a very traumatizing moment for me of my tennis career, for sure. Yeah. Number one traumatizing moment. So uh, it kind of took me back to that. And, uh, you know, I definitely empathized towards him. That, that was the main thing. I want to talk about your mom a little bit, uh, your parents both. Uh, I think the three of us all have kind of uh, these these unique parent situations where we have kind of uh, different personalities amongst our mothers and fathers. I know Noah and I have talked about it a, a little bit here. As <laughs> Love both, them both. Uh, all good. Children both. of divorced parents. Both crazy. You know? <laughs> um, y y your, your mom uh, specifically has, you know, she's been in Melbourne, I know, for, for many years and has traveled over for chunks of time with you and happened to be there last year with Charlottesville and Knoxville she is, is obviously appears to be a very different person than your father and I'm just wondering how you balance um, their personalities uh, especially when your mom is there for extended period of time and, and and what kind of a difference it makes for you as a person I mean having my mom on the road honestly is everything because she's the most supportive person I have in my corner like mm. not even close you know win or lose she always has something positive to say somehow she had something positive to say after the Charlottesville thing which I didn't think there was anything positive <laughs> you know? but you know she just she always keeps me solid and you know honestly if it wasn't for her personality and the way she is as a person like I, I wouldn't even be here right now you know like I, I can't thank her enough and uh you know it is a lot different from you know my dad's personality in a way my dad is very supportive as well um and you know he's helped me a lot he was actually a top 100 pro himself yeah. so he's mentored me through you know so many tough moments as well but they are very different and sometimes it's a little tricky to to balance that um but you know at the end of the day i'm blessed to have both of them uh, as my parents having somebody that has i mean quote unquote done it before you is that a pressure situation? Is that in the back of your head? Is that like, you know, if he can do it, I should be able to do it kind of thing? You know, what, what, what are you thinking in those scenarios? Yeah, I mean, definitely it puts a little bit of pressure. You know, you kind of are under your father's, like, shadow in a way. And I remember just going to my first couple of pro events, every single person would be like, oh, like, you're Tony Moe's son. And, oh, like, and I remember I was traveling with Glenn at the time, and mm -hmm. he was like, you got to get to the point where, like, people actually come up to you because of you and not mm -hmm. because of your dad. Not that my dad was, you know, like, a celebrity, but, you know, most people knew my dad instead of knowing me from yeah. my actual game. So I feel like I'm slowly transitioning to the point where people come up to me because of me <laughs> yeah. and not because of my dad. But it is it is tough. I mean, we've seen that a lot recently, you know, whether it's um, it's Corda or yeah. who else am I blanking Emilio out? Gomez. We Emilio talked to Emilio Gomez, a little yes, while ago. Of course. Um, you know, that I, that understanding of I just needed that one match. Like, Have you had that one situation where you're like, oh, shit, I'm pretty good at tennis. Like, I don't need to be <laughs> in my father's shadow anymore. Like, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, like I said, that one match. Um, Was great. it a Grand Slam this year? I would say actually when I beat Batista. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Till this day, uh, that's the thing that you know, like, confirms my level. Mm -hmm. You know, I just know that I'm capable of playing tennis at a 
very high level, and that reminds me. So, like, when I'm going through tough times, I just think back, you beat a guy that, you know, he beats Djokovic for fun sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you got you to remind yourself of that. Sometimes you do forget, but, uh, you know, you got to keep it in the back of your head, and that was the one match for sure. You mentioned Glenn Weiner, who you worked with for a very long time uh, as, as your coach. I remember having a discussion with him. This would have been 15, 16, 2015, 16. I, I can't remember exactly which year. In Binghamton, New York. And he told me, and I think you had lost, and he just was like, it's going to be a long progression. But I, he said he's raw, but the world is available to him. They look, he looked at it specifically as this big long-term picture for you. He obviously had to step away. He wanted to spend more time with his family. I know that was something you guys talked about for a long period of time. You've had to make coaching transitions. Right. I'm wondering, even though you knew that transition was coming, how much it has hampered you, kind of slowed you down, that you have had to go and try to find somebody that works well with you after having that relationship with Glenn for so long. Yeah, I mean, Glenn was like my second dad, and he yeah. still is my second dad, you know. I've learned so much from him, and honestly, like, as a coach, he he made me the player I am today, you know. I couldn't play tennis. I couldn't have beat Batista. I couldn't have done anything I ever did if it wasn't for him. You know, he's an unbelievable coach, and he's an unbelievable person. Yes. And I think I actually took a lot of his characteristics and his values and just who he, has, who he is as a person, and I learned a lot from him. And um, I can't thank him enough because I don't think I would be the person I am today if it wasn't for a guy like him. And now it's, it is tricky, you know, finding a person that is on the same par as him. Mm -hmm. You know, I, went, uh, I was coached by Waske for a while. Yeah. He was a very good coach. And uh, now I'm working with Troy Hahn, same thing. You know, he's an unbelievable coach, unbelievable person as well. So now I think the main thing is when I do find a coach, above everything, I, I want to make sure that they're a good person like Glenn was, mm. you know? Yeah. I miss Glenn. I do too. He's super high. <laughs> Where is he? I mean, you I, don't have to put out the faux, like, warning <laughs> signal in the sky. <laughs> I miss his handlebar mustache. I mean, that was a thing when he had that right at the end. That was impressive. Yeah, we know. That was impressive. He's but, actually uh, in the Bahamas right now. Is he? Yeah, he's the head of oh, uh, the Albany Club over there. It's a tough life. Yeah. yeah super tough life. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you soon, Glenn, I guess. <laughs> no, I think, and this is something I've been, uh, I was talking to Bjorn about a little bit, and... I think some of the ins and outs, and we talk about tough tennis is just as a sport overall, but I think one of the things that I saw was just the little things that are just, there's no constants, you know, whether it's coaching, whether it's mm. stringing from tournament to tournament, just little things like that. Obviously, coaching is a, is a larger one, but how many things you have to deal with, and, you know, I don't compliment tennis players too often, but, you know, I think, you know, hearing from you and guys around your age and just the experiences that they've been through and the way they speak about life and whether they can articulate it or not, just have the understanding, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, you think about guys our age, you know, or even younger at that 19, 20, and the things that they've dealt with, I mean, they've had to run their own business to a certain mm. extent, and there's just so many moving parts. So, I mean, it's tough. I mean, you're dealing with losses in a lot of ways, more than just on the court, and to see the guys come out of it like it, it's, it's pretty incredible. It is. That was just my little rant right there. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were just looking at me. You're like, is this going to be a question? Is there a question coming no, out of this? this no. is just a rant. That was just a little joke. Yeah, just a rant. <laughs> um, you, you, 
you mentioned we mentioned Francis at the beginning. Um, I, I know you came up with cause as well. Um, I, I've always thought of you, Mike, as kind of uh, um, how do I? I don't want to phrase this in a, a way that you might take negative. Like you've been, uh, uh, at least in terms of my my relationship with you, with you, the probably the shy one out of all of them. I, and I don't think that you're a shy person necessarily. Right. Um, but I don't know that you've kind of let that personality out. Right. Um, and, and I wonder why. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it goes <laughs> back to just when you're on the tour and when you're competing, you know, you're dealing with a lot of stress. And I feel like I com- I'm a completely different person when I'm home hmm. than when I'm at a tournament. Completely different person. And I think part of that is just the stress and, you know, like the traveling. And, you know, at times you don't feel comfortable with, like, everyone on tour and uh, – everything's kind of new like you're going from futures where it's a whole bunch of new people and then you're going to challenges where it's a whole bunch of new people and at times like everything is just different Mm. and I know at home like everything is the same and I'm comfortable there that's why I think my personality kind of comes out there because I'm more comfortable but sometimes when I'm on tour um, there's just a lot of like variables and there's a lot of distractions and I think that's part of the reason that sometimes uh my personality doesn't come out to its full extent. When Mo and I are hitting up the local discotheques. Dis- a discotheque. A discotheque. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm old though, right? <laughs> it's, it's that, I, that's why you just don't like me because I'm old? Or? Probably. Yeah, Probably. it's the Mohawk. It's not. It's not the Mohawk. It's not the Mohawk. That's the least of your problems. Um, your, your style, going back a little bit to, towards Glenn, I remember uh, he and I having another conversation where I, I said that multiple times when I'm watching you, I just want to like, scream out, hit the fucking ball like at the beginning of your career. Yeah. How has that changed for you in terms of just that, that ability to just feel comfortable, speaking of being comfortable, just fucking hitting the ball? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I think the tough thing with that is I was always a very good athlete. Yeah. And I was always very capable of, you know, making a ton of balls and uh, just getting everything back. And I felt like that was the thing that pissed people off more than, <laughs> you know, when I actually hit the ball. Yeah. So I was kind of confused on, what, why I was effective on the tennis court. And now looking, obviously, into the future, I know that to make it to the top of the game, you can't just run side to side mm-hmm. and make tennis balls. you got to do something with the tennis ball. Um, so I'm, I'm realizing that, okay, I'm, I'm 160 right now. I don't want to be 160 in five years, so how can I not be 160 yeah. in five years? And i got to hit the tennis ball. And even if I miss right now, in five years, I'm going to be thanking myself that I was yeah. missing back then because that's turned myself into the player that I want to be in five years. I will contradict it a little bit just from seeing you evolve as a player. I think it's understanding because I think I've seen you at times where you've gone the opposite extreme, where you just start hitting and that's not you. That's right. not completely who you are. I've done that for a certain amount of time and you don't feel comfortable in your identity on the court and then you lose who you are. And I've seen you now progress to a point where like, okay, that ball that I'm scared to give you, I'm scared to give you because you do something with it. But for the most part, you're doing, you're playing Michael Mo tennis, and that's scary, and it's evolving that path. And I think, you know, I can speak for myself, I don't know about you, but seeing other guys like the foes and Fritzes that we've all played with, we've beaten before, seeing them progress so quickly, we want to progress as well. So we then do changes that I think try to skip levels at times. But I think coming back to the idea that, you know, this is my path that I'm on. I'm going to evolve the way I want. I think that's what I've seen with you. Um, has it been tough to have that patience almost? 
For sure. I mean, uh, you know, I'm nothing but happy for my friends that have made it as quick as. But they I hate did. them all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak. I hate them all. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, you know, you do question why you're still playing challengers, and you know they're over playing the Paris Masters and stuff. And at times, it's a little frustrating. And I think that's why sometimes you see me play where I've gone on the other end of the spectrum because right. I'm just trying different stuff. I'm trying everything I can. Um, but now I think slowly I'm finding my identity mm-hmm. and uh, I know who I am as a player and I'm executing everything to the best of my potential. So like you said, going on the other end of the spectrum and yes. me trying to play like Taylor Fritz or and something like finding that. finding the medium. Yeah, that's not going to work out for me. Like, I'm not going to be successful doing that. I got to use my strengths, mm-hmm. and I got to do some stuff more than I have been in the past, but I think I'm finding that balance now, finally. What about growing eight inches and being Riley Opelka? Can you do that? I was just going to make a joke that you're waiting for me to grow. <laughs> well, you need waiting. to grow eight inches just to be, like, even close to Mike here. Um, so as, as we start to wrap up here, because I know you're, you're trying to get back onto, like, a, a normal schedule here. Um, we're, we're in Cary. I, I know Noah and I have spoken about it. We we love this tournament. We love this area. The people here yep. are, are just fantastic. Um, One of the better challenges for it's, sure. It's fan- the way they take care of you guys is just it's it's fun for me to watch. Yeah. Um, but you 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 know we've got a couple weeks here, and then you've got this uncertainty. Uh, I know Lucas Lechko is the guy who kind of put out what the what the ATP and Tennis Australia has kind of sent you about what's happening right now. Um, so it's it's out there. How are you approaching? What's going to happen tennis-wise in the next three months? Um, after these two weeks, how do you try to figure out and sort through what you think is going to be the best approach for you heading towards Australia or whatever might happen in January? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because it kind of goes back to like March and April in a way where you're training, but you don't know exactly what you're training for, and you don't know what you're going to be playing before Australia, or you don't even know if Australia is going to happen for a fact. So it's kind of weird, and it's it's way different than it has been in the past. Like before, by this time, you know exactly, okay, I'm going to go to Numea or yeah. I'm going to go blah, blah, blah. And it, it kind of just gives you a clear headspace on what to train for and what to look forward to and how you're going to start next season. But right now, I mean, I guess it's the the situation we're in in the world, but it's 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 tough. And I think it's tough for all of us. I know it's tough for you because I have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> to start 2021. Can you pre- can you mentally prepare yourself for two weeks of quarantine? That's going to be tough. <laughs> That's going to be real tough. Are I mean, you built for that? I don't think I am. If it's two weeks in the hotel room, yeah. I mean, you might consider not going to the show, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's possible. I know, like, Noah and I have talked about that. I mean, I, I, I know I've been actually approached about whether I'm going to head back down there, too. And it's like right. two weeks in a hotel room is that's a, that's brutal. It's tough yeah. for anybody. No, man, we've, we've heard that you can practice. We're, we're pretty sure that you won't be able to compete. They won't have tournaments during this time. Um, but the the problem looking on the other side is we don't know if there's going to be tournaments in the U.S. You know, even trying to say, hey, let's use this time, get my ranking up a little bit, play some tournaments in the U.S., we don't know if that's a thing. So you can't hold your breath for anything right now. That's really what it comes no, down to. For sure. Um, it's always really good to see you. Uh, you know, I, I like like I, I was saying, <laughs> somehow, I, I you know, even though you know, I think it took, took a, a couple of years for you and I to to warm up to each other. I, I enjoy getting the opportunity to chat with you. We had a 
a couple of minutes last year in the Cary Airport. That's right. Uh, you took a picture of me. I in did. The I did. He he didn't even like we were like six feet away from each other, and he has no idea that I'm right there. It's like God, I had this zero is, clue. This is tough for me. And is that why the Mohawk? That's why the Mohawk is there now because now I stand out. And then I get a text, <laughs> and it's me. It's a picture of me chilling That's in the super lab, fucking like, creepy. That's who I am. And That's at the a time, creep. at the time, I don't think you texted me before, or very yeah, few texts. Yeah, I didn't correct. Have number. Saved. Yeah. So I got this That's right. random text. And it was me <laughs> chilling in the lounge. I was so confused. Oh my! I was, I was, been, and it was, could have been your last time ever. It was, it was like seven thirty in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> I was going on like one eye open. He's like, "What in the <laughs> world is happening?" I didn't know if it was me or somebody that looked like me. I didn't know where it was. That is so creepy. It's who I am. Yeah. So you know, just you know, got to feel comfortable with who you are. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's I'm a six, creep. That's and I'm six a creep. feet rule applied to you long <laughs> before COVID. Before. <laughs> uh, but it's great to talk to you, and uh, good luck this week. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Noah. Good luck as well. Yeah. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.